Welcome to Scary Savannah and Beyond. This is going to be episode number Christmas. Hey. So, Crystal, please tell me, how have you been doing? And please explain to everybody why we look so crazy. Well, because it's Christmas and I'm super excited. This episode's actually going to air on Christmas Day. It is going to be on Christmas Day and that's why we're wearing our Hanukkah pajamas. Will you let that go? Nope. It's just Hanukkah colors, but it's She didn't like Christmas-y. the Christmas colors, so she bought Hanukkah pajamas These and called them Christmas cute. pajamas. And you mix it with a Santa hat and you get everything you need for Christmas. We are all about diversity. We are. For holiday. I'm very excited to see what you got me. You know, I love presents. Yeah, and probably by the time this airs, you'll have opened everything, including your birthday present. I might. You know, presents are my favorite part. <laughs> it's really what Christmas is all about. It is. Presents. And speaking of presents, I got you a little present. You got me a present? Mm-hmm. Can you guess what it is? No. I kept it with our candy theme, and you didn't even notice it was in the How would <laughs> I notice anything in here? There's 6,000 different individual That's why Christmas I was able items. to hide it from you, because you didn't even notice it was not really candy. So you really want me to open this? Yes. Okay. It's a shame to mess up such a cute package. It's a can of salmon eyes. <laughs> Gee, thank You've you. You've always been saying that you wanted thank a can you. of Simon I love it. I love it. A can of Simon Your whole life you've been saying that. This is amazing, I actually. didn't even know what Simon was until I had to look it up. It's from A Christmas Story for our listeners that don't know. A can of Simon I'm sure everybody's seen A Christmas Story a million times And we'll over. just set that right here. But it's actually car wax, so you can wash my, wax my car wax. Watch it roll away. You can wax my car with there that. There it goes. <laughs> Thank you, so, dear. That's lovely. It's everything I'd hoped for for this holiday season. It's just the beginning. It is? Yeah, I got you lots of stuff. Oh, okay. Awesome. Great. I mean, not for this uh, episode. I'm about to say, that's kind of weird because I didn't get you anything <laughs> for the podcast episode. You didn't give me anything for this special episode? I didn't realize that we were doing presents on the Christmas episode. I guess I'll know next year when mm. we do the 12 days of Christmas, you just all of a sudden decided we're going to do. Yeah. That way I'll get something. I just can't understand you. I really can't. You don't like it? Oh, I love it. Oh, okay. I can't understand how you would think that I would think of things that we should think about. It's clearly that's not why my I specialty. Do, I do all the thinking. Yeah. Well, that's what you're here for. Well, I bought myself stuff if that makes you feel better. In a strange way, it does. You probably bought yourself several of the things I got. You for saw you for all Christmas. those bracelets I had on yeah, yesterday. Yeah, I almost bought you bracelets <laughs> too. So I'm glad I didn't. Well, you can never have too many. Mm hmm. And we always ask everyone to give us some coffees at the end of every episode. And now we would it's like espresso. To, it's espresso. And we would definitely like to thank Heidi for buying us these coffees. Yeah, thank you, Heidi. It is very much appreciated and it helps to support her unending caffeination requirements and apparently buying cans of Simon Eyes. It's a really nice can, too. It's metal. I'm enjoying it, the can. I mean, I'll never open it, You can set it on your desk. It'll look nice with all your other random stuff. It'll be very pleasant to view. It will be. Thank you, dear. You're welcome. Besides Halloween, Christmas is my favorite time of year, as is evident by all these pictures of me as a little kid. I had your mom send me a couple of pictures of you at Christmas, too. 
you notice there's a quite a disparity between how you celebrated yes. Christmas and how I celebrated Christmas. It is. I was obsessed with blue mold Santas. And apparently and- I was obsessed with dressing up like a bank robber. <laughs> but you're so cute. Mm-hmm. Besides Christmas, my birthday is on the 27th, so there's all kinds of celebrating coming up in the next few days. That's the rumor. So, I love Christmas, but I've never really thought about the actual origins of Christmas. We all know it's supposed to be the celebration of the birth of Jesus, but there's more to the season and all the traditions that go along with it. Did you know how it started? Probably some kind of pagan ritual, I'm guessing. (laughs) Like everything else. Everything starts with pagans, it seems. So I thought we'd talk a little more about the celebrations that eventually melded together to form what we recognize today as Christmas. And how it's all based off of hauntings. I don't think there's any hauntings. Or true crime. No. Or oddities. Probably not. It's going to fit under a category at some point. (laughs) For centuries, different cultures celebrated the winter solstice, which usually occurs around December 21st. It was an observance of the worst days of winter being behind them and a celebration of longer days and the new year to come. The Norse celebration is called Yule. The fathers and sons would go out and bring home the biggest logs they could find and build a giant fire. A huge feast followed, lasting up to 12 days while the fire burned. They believed that the sparks from the fire had a special meaning. Each spark symbolized a new calf or pig that would be born the next year. So they were hoping for a bountiful new year. It's a lot of sparks, a lot of cattle. <laughs> we will have many pigs. <laughs> Did they like count them? Many calf. <laughs> All you can think of is Thor. Uh, Thor Jurgensen. Thorfinn. Thor Thorfinn. That show Ghosts. Yeah, we love that show. These types of celebrations took place all over Europe. It made sense because this is when they would slaughter their cattle to last them the rest of the winter. It was also the time of year when all the beer and wine that they had been fermenting all year would be ready. And they drank it all in one night. They probably did. In Germany, they had a pagan god named Odin. The people were afraid of Odin, believing that he would fly through the night, looking at people and deciding whether or not they were on his naughty or nice list, and who he would make prosperous the next year, and which ones he would just smite. So Santa Claus is actually Odin, a Norse god? Kind the father of. of Thor and Loki. <laughs> so for this reason, most people just stayed indoors. Well, I ain't going to see no Odin God fly over my house because he just smite me right up on the street. Over in Rome, the winters were more mild, but they had their own winter celebration in honor of their god, Saturn. The festival was called Saturnalia. Saturnalia lasted a whole month and was full of food and a lot of drinking and all kinds of debauchery. Mm, debauchery. They closed all businesses and schools so everyone could celebrate. They had another feast called Juvenalia, which honored all the children of Rome. The upper class would celebrate the birth of Mithra on December 25th. For many, this was the most sacred day of the year. We have to close down the schools so that we can have our Bacchanalia. <laughs> yeah. Christians didn't celebrate Jesus' birth until the 4th century. Up to that point, Easter was the most important celebration for the Christian church. The church decided to start celebrating Jesus' birth, but the Bible isn't really clear on when Jesus was actually born. Most likely, it was spring or summer, since an angel appeared to shepherds who were watching their sheep, and they wouldn't have been out in the fields at night in the winter. It'd be cold outside. Yeah, so it was probably not December. But that didn't stop Pope Julius I from picking December 25th 
most likely to try to absorb the pagan Saturnalia. The original name for this new celebration was the Feast of the Nativity. It made its way to Egypt by 432 and over to England by the end of the 6th century. Since the church picked December 25th, this helped as they spread throughout Europe by Christianizing pagan holidays, and by the Middle Ages, the church had replaced most pagan religions. Oh, is that all the beer and wine you fermented the whole year? We'll Let's take just it. call that eggnog. Yeah, we'll take it. On Christmas, after church service, the people would take to the streets to celebrate. It was more like a Mardi Gras atmosphere than what we would think the celebration of the Christ child should be. There was much drinking and debauchery. They would choose a student or beggar and crown him the Lord of Misrule. Everyone else would have to do whatever crazy things he commanded. Oddly enough, that's titled my first solo album. Is it? The Lord of Misrule. The poor would bang on the doors of the rich and demand to be let in and given the best that the owner of the home had to offer. That usually meant his finest food and drink. If the owner didn't give up the goods, then he would be, quote, tricked and terrorized. This sounds uh, almost like our Halloween story. Did we absorb that, too? It looks like we it. We absorbed everything. You know that song, We Wish You a Merry Christmas? I've heard of it. You know, it's like, we won't go until we get some... We won't go until we get some. So it was a legit threat. Yes, it was threatening. It's like, we will hurt you if we don't get some. Get that figgy pudding out here now. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of those songs had a lot darker uh, connotations than we. They left that verse out where it said, and we'll burn your home down (laughs) when we want to. And now here's the Lord of Misrule. Hey, that's good. That's probably in there. Yeah, that's uh, track number three off oh, my forthcoming okay. Lord of Misrule album. Nice. It's a celebration holiday album that features, you know, debauchery songs. <laughs> Can't wait for that one to drop. By the time the 1600s rolled around, so did religious reform. A man named Oliver Cromwell, along with what we know as the Puritans, took over England in 1645. They wanted to get rid of everything they considered decadent And that included the Christmas celebration. So they canceled Christmas. So this is turning from a film about debauchery into a Hallmark Channel movie. They just don't know the spirit of Christmas. And now we have to show it to them, Oliver Cromwell. And then they get burned at the stake. (laughs) Most likely. The people of England were most displeased by this. So they replaced Oliver and his followers by restoring Charles II to the throne. Charles II brought back Christmas, and the people were thrilled. Yay, Charles II. (laughs) He's the best. In 1620, when the pilgrims came to America, they were even more strict than Oliver Cromwell. They went so far as to outlaw Christmas in Boston. Not in Boston. If you were caught exhibiting Christmas spirit, you would be fined five shillings. Not five whole shillings. Uh, That's probably a lot. What does that translate to in American dollars? I don't know, but it's probably a lot. Over in Jamestown, however, they did celebrate Christmas according to Captain John Smith. But I read that it went off without a hitch. There was no displays of Christmas spirit to be... No happiness to be found. Yeah, they didn't overdo it. No figgy pudding whatsoever. A little eggnog, but no It wasn't spiked with anything but sadness. Yeah, probably some curdled milk. When America won its independence from England, they abandoned many English customs, including Christmas, for a while. It wasn't until June 26, 1870... That Christmas was declared a federal holiday. So now we have ourselves a federal holiday 
But how do we get to lighted up trees, a jelly fat guy who delivers gifts, and flying reindeer? I'm going to wager it has something to do with either alcohol or murder. Hmm, probably a combination. Well, in the 1800s, there was a lot of conflict between the upper and lower class people in America. Unemployment was high and riots broke out, especially around Christmas time. In 1828, New York organized its very first police force as a response to a Christmas riot. Wow, it's the gift that keeps on giving, apparently. <laughs> Much like Halloween, Christmas needed to be reimagined. We've got to get these kids off the street. Yeah, they quit tricking and give them some treats. The upper class decided to change things up. They needed to make it a fun, safe, family-oriented event. We need to bring back alcohol. <laughs> Enter best-selling author Washington Irving. In 1819, he published a series of stories called The Sketchbook of Jeffrey Crayon. These stories depicted the celebration of Christmas in an English manor house. There was a squire who invited peasants to live in his home for Christmas. They all got along splendidly. He perpetuated the idea that the Christmas season should be a peaceful time where all social classes lived in harmony. He portrayed customs that he had never actually witnessed himself, but because people saw them in these books, they assumed they must be the way things should be. So it really caught on. So it's basically like Norman television back then. They didn't have television, so yeah. they read the book. And they're like, well, this is how it's got to be. That's the same guy that wrote the Ichabod Crane Sleepy Hollow it story. Is. I wonder if people went around lopping people's heads off in <laughs> such a manner as well. I That's how you celebrate Halloween. <laughs> I don't think so. In 1843, A Christmas Carol, written by Charles Dickens, further reinforced the importance of charity and goodwill. Children were beginning to be more highly valued, and this was a chance to lavish them with gifts. Do you know he wrote that in six weeks? I didn't know that. Yeah. He's like, well, let me you just write a out. classic. This This will be a banger. <laughs> a real banger. As Catholics and Episcopalians continued to immigrate to the U.S., they brought along more of their customs and all things started to merge. Over the next 100 years, America embraced its own version of the Christmas celebration, combining many customs from many cultures to make up the Christmas we know today. So we're going to talk about a few of our favorite customs. Up first, decorating the tree. The tradition of bringing a tree into our homes and filling it with colorful lights and ornaments dates back to Germany and the Middle Ages. You can thank Prince Albert for your Christmas tree. Thanks, Prince Albert. When Prince Albert of Germany got a tree for his new wife, Queen Victoria of England, the tradition really took off. A drawing of the couple in front of a Christmas tree appeared in Illustrated London News in 1848. So it kind of went viral. So these are candles say. on the tree, right? They were actual candles. I still don't believe dangerous. that. Yeah. I don't know that anyone ever actually did that. So this is credited for like making it really popular. He wasn't the first to have a Christmas tree, obviously, but but he was the first to show it off. Yeah, it was a painting like on a, it was that on went a, viral. Yeah, it went viral. So he started social media, is what you're saying. Mm-hmm. When Germans and other Europeans immigrated to America, they brought along their trees, and I'm glad they did because I love a Christmas tree. Oh, Tannenbaum. The first Christmas tree lot in America popped up in 1851. An estimated 21 million live Christmas trees will be purchased this year, as well as another 21 million artificial trees. Like you. Mm -hmm. A 2019 survey by the American Christmas Tree Association predicted that 77% of U.S. households displayed a Christmas tree in their home. I wonder if they have parades. Who? The American Christmas Tree Association. 
like the way they have the parades for the St. Patrick's Day in Savannah. Surely there's a city somewhere that's <laughs> Christmas, Christmas tree, tree capital parades. of the USA, and they probably have a parade where a logging truck drives by with Christmas <laughs> trees, and they just throw the Christmas trees off to the little kids on the side of the road, and probably all kinds of injuries happen. You know, probably. That was 2019. I think this year it's closer to 85% of people will have a tree in their home. Soon. All of them will have the survey. I mean, the television. I mean, the trees. Next up is the Yule Log. Yule Logs were part of ancient winter solstice celebrations like we talked about. But in America, they turned it into must-see TV. It was all the way back in 1966 when WPIX-TV in New York City aired a continuous 17-second loop of a fireplace for three hours, along with some holiday music. I never remember this as a kid. Like I'd never heard of it. I neither. It seems like it came out when the kids were about eight, nine. And then it was like eight, a nine. YouTube thing. Yeah. I don't remember it being on TV, but I don't know. We just thought it was funny. We'd be like every year, yeah. be like, we can't wait for the next episode or the next release remember, of Yule Log. It'll be Yule Log 3, The Reckoning. I remember you know? when like, uh, at some point the person would go and put another log on oh, the fire. Oh, that was so exciting. That was like it the was climax like of the movie. It was like three and a half hours <laughs> into an eight-hour movie, and it's just like there's like you'll see the log shift yeah. because it's burned down a little. You're like, ah, I saw that. <laughs> That was the best part. And we have like a picture of you and Jeff throwing Andrew into the tree. Was, I mean, into the Yule log. Yeah, it was great fun. You and Ethan, I can't remember. And we have a picture of Kirsten standing in front of one like she's burning up. Yeah. Hopefully I can find My this. kids are all messed up. <laughs> so today you can view the Yule log on demand or on the web or on Netflix. Like we did in our last episode. Yeah, that was fun. Advent calendars. In 1903, Gerhard Land published an early version of an advent calendar in Germany as a way for kids to count down the days to Christmas. They gained popularity in the U.S. in the early 1900s, and now you find all kinds of these countdowns. Some include candy, small gifts, maybe mini bottles of alcohol, (laughs) all the things you need to get ready for Christmas. We're teaching kids about a crippling (laughs) drinking addiction. Well, these are for adults. Adult, uh, adults have advent calendars. I have two myself. Oh, you do? Not drinking ones. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it looks like on the 14th day of Christmas, here's a bottle of fireball. <laughs> it's a bottle of fireball. We had an incident over an advent calendar in our family when I was young. One of my great aunts made an advent calendar for my great grandmother. And when she died, my grandma ended up with it. That was her sister. And it's been the subject of controversy ever since about where it is to this day. It is quite a mystery and as to where it may be. that's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> it's truly, truly something you. that I've seen in the past. <laughs> You've seen it. I don't know where it is to this day, but I can just say the fact that you can make an argument out of anything in a family is proven by if you just saw what this thing was. The way yeah. they talked about it, it's like it's some relic that Indiana Jones would be looking for. And you, a normal person would look at it and be like... I've seen these at the Goodwill. (laughs) It was handmade, though. It was cool. Next up, gingerbread houses. Once again, we have Germany to thank for another fun tradition. Give them a hand clap. (laughs) Gingerbread houses have been around for a long time. Germany's been making them for years. But when the Brothers Grimm wrote Hansel and Gretel, boom, a new holiday tradition. I think you meant Hansel and Gretel. Some give credit to Elizabeth I for popularizing them, but I'm going with my brother's grim. Hansel? 
this year was our first foray into the gingerbread world. So these are our gingerbread houses right here. Hansel? I'm sure you can tell who made which one. I think they both turned out great. Uh, all I can see right now is that can of Simon eyes. <laughs> I was highly impressed with your artistic ability. I this. threw that thing together, just raw skill and you no did. planning. It's like I'm over here like um, painting the sides of my uh, walls with pink glitter and he's already got his assembled at that point yeah and i said what goes good with gingerbread houses and i was like well what kind of candy do i got and that's what goes good with gingerbread houses see i had mine all thought out and planned out and i i'm still not completely happy with it i want to add one more thing you're right we should just smash it right here on camera <laughs> what do you think no it's 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 nice but it's uh, i sort of want to eat it I don't know how good it would taste. I it's don't probably care. two weeks old. I'm like having withdrawals point. on gingerbread. <laughs> Next up is the Nutcracker. The Nutcracker is an essential tradition for many families. I can't say that I've ever seen it myself. Have you? I went to a play of the Nutcracker when I was in elementary school but at you the remember Blumenthal Art Center. I think that's what it was called in Charlotte. Or I'm something. sure you didn't pay attention. Oh no! Oh Lord, no! Oh heavens! <laughs> it no. was just a day to get out of school. No, no. I just remember being extremely bored. I'm sure. I'd probably love it now, but you know, as a elementary school child, yeah. you know, ballets and such yeah. or whatever that was is not exactly what a teen, uh, an elementary school boy is into. It was performed for the first time in 1892 and made its way to the U.S. in 1944. By the 1960s, it spread nationwide and is a must-see for thousands. All I know about it is that it has a girl in it named Clara, there's some nutcrackers, and a rat king. Apparently, there's a sword fight as well. The only reason I know any of that is because Food Network had a cake challenge involving the nutcracker and somebody made a rat king yeah there was a rat somebody king. made a clara there was a clara somebody made a nutcracker yeah so that's the extent of my knowledge what do you know about it i remember i think i fell asleep oh even so as an elementary nothing. school child i think i fell asleep <laughs> and that's pretty bad not that they did a bad job putting on the play it's just i was easily bored. was not what it is today yeah i'm still easily <laughs> distracted Next up, ugly Christmas sweaters. I love an ugly Christmas sweater. This is a newer tradition from the 1980s that became really trendy in Vancouver, Canada. Where all the coolest traditions start, of course. Yeah, they're credited with having the first ugly Christmas sweater party. Aha. Uh -huh. And now it's a multi-million dollar business with websites such as Tipsy Elves. Or you can go to Macy's, Kohl's, or Target to get your ugly sweater. Really? Mm -hmm. You can? You can. We didn't talk about any of those chains in our last episode, so I guess you can go shopping there, huh? Well, I don't know. I haven't really looked into what they're made out of it yet. It is going to turn out that <laughs> ugly Christmas sweaters are actually probably one of the most unethically sourced It's going to go the way of, of Santa that Santa did in our Patreon oh, episode. Oh, good grief. If you want to find out the truth behind Santa, yeah. get on our Patreon. Join our Patreon, people. It's worth it. It is. Cookies and milk for Santa. Ancient Norse mythology has tales of leaving treats out, but in America it was popularized in the 1930s during the Great Depression. It was a way to show gratitude during struggle. And he broke in your house, burglary, trespassing. Yeah. And then further other crimes that he could probably be charged with in court. Animal Once cruelty. again, go to Patreon. <laughs> 
I've also seen it credited with Dutch children leaving out treats for Santa in exchange for presents. Wasn't there some tradition they taught me in school where people in some other country left a shoe out and they put presents in a shoe? I think there is something like that. Isn't that, that like a Dutch thing? It may be. It's like, that you wooden put shoe. your wooden shoe yeah, out. Yeah, <laughs> that might be what that was. Next up, candy canes. Let's give it up to Germany again for another Christmas staple, the candy cane. These date back to 1670 and arrived in the U.S. in 1847 when a German-Swedish immigrant brought them over and hung them on a tree. In the 1950s, the automated candy cane making machine was invented. (laughs) And now candy canes are the number one non-chocolate candy sold in December. I love the way candy canes look and peppermints, as you can tell. But I don't like peppermint flavor, so I just use them as decorations. What yeah. do you think about candy canes? I think I love candy canes. Do you like to eat them, or you just like to look at them? I don't. I like the candy cane like I built my gingerbread house out of. It looks like yeah. normal candy cane, but it's kind of soft. It's oh, not yeah. really hard. I love those, but I don't care for just standard issue, government-issued candy yeah, canes. but they make a nice decoration. Yeah, they're festive. Like these ones that are hanging behind you, I thought were Whoa, so cool. there's a candy cane cool. up here. I made a wreath out of them. Those are actually Funfetti candy canes. And I thought it would be nice to take them and smash them up. Funfetti candy canes. Yeah, and see, they look really cute. And I was going to crush them up and use them on my gingerbread house. But when you take the wrapper off, they're just white. All that color is on the wrapper, so that was a rip. These are lies. Yeah, it's a lie, Dollar you Tree. You sit upon a throne of lies, <laughs> Dollar Tree. Oh, I was so frustrated with that. Next up, door wreaths. Wreaths were popular in ancient Greece and Rome, but eventually took on a Christian connection. The circle shape representing eternal life, the holly leaves and berries representing Christ's crown of thorns and blood. This is according to the New York Times. I got really into wreaths this year. I went a little overboard. I had bought these wreaths like years ago at a thrift store. They were just green. And a bodabra. Yeah, I've had a bodabra. And so like it's seven years later and I finally made the wreaths and I had so many like I had to start giving them away because there was nowhere to put them in the house. Bodabra. (laughs) Christmas cards. It seems like Christmas cards aren't as popular as they used to be in uh, the electronic age, at least for us. Like we don't. Christmas cards. We don't. And now everyone wants to do the jib jab. I think we've got, yeah, we probably got three Christmas cards this year. Your dad didn't do a jib jab this year. I thought oh, he always he did a jib jab. I forgot about that. He always does that. I know firsthand that everyone used to mail cards for any and all occasions. If they liked you. I have a box full of random cards sent to me from family and people I don't even know for Christmas. You know, Troy and the kids. (laughs) Birthdays, Easter's, Thanksgiving. There's lots of strawberry shortcake and Care Bears. It was the 80s, and it was crazy. I decided to get them all out the other night, and I found my very first Christmas card from 1980. Mm Mm-hmm. Isn't that cute? That is so cute. Who would keep that? I didn't keep our kids' first Christmas cards. I don't even think they got one. I don't know that I ever got a Christmas card directed to me individually. I mean, I got one as an adult when we lived together, but I don't think I was sitting around being eight, and then all of a sudden, oh, here's your Christmas card, Brett. Like, I was always just looking for the money when I remember. (laughs) Just give me the money. So when did Christmas cards start? The first official Christmas card debuted in 1843 in England with a simple message, A Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to you. 
That was earth shattering, mm-hmm. probably in 1843. People probably never seen words on a piece of paper before. Some queen, I think Victoria or something, was credited with doing the first Christmas card, but I don't know. Maybe Christmas. People soon started mailing cards like lunatics, and the Hall brothers, you might know them now as Hallmark, saw a business opportunity, and they created the first card-slash-envelope combo in 1915. <laughs> Pretty... I can just see it happening. <laughs> There's Bob Hall and John Hall sitting in a hall. Sitting there, like, you know what people like? They like cards with words on them. And you know what's the best words? Merry Christmas. Exactly. Print me up 75,000 of those. But we got to have envelopes. Oh, no. How can we make this happen? John, get on the phone with Bob Envelope. And then the rest, as they say, has never happened history. 1.6 billion holiday cards still go out annually, according to the Greeting Card Association. Those are rookie numbers. I don't feel like we get many. I haven't you? gotten even 1 billion cards in my whole life. <laughs> what are your thoughts on cards? Like, how do you feel about cards in general and then Christmas cards specifically? Cards in general, I find to be something that should be brought back. I think there should be cards for random things, and you just sort of have to guess what the point of it is. Uh-huh. Like, it could be a Tuesday in April, uh-huh. and all of a sudden a card just shows up, <laughs> and it says Merry Christmas <laughs> and a Happy New Year. But, you I know. like that. But then the colors are totally off. It's not red and green or gold and silver. It might be, like, fuchsia and black. And then you're like, why am I getting this card? And then a follow-up card comes the day after, and it wishes that that card had never been sent. <laughs> so you're trying to figure out, like, it's post-dating. It's like trying to call back an email. Okay. But they do it on paper. Yeah. Now, talking specifically about Christmas cards, I just don't think there should be any Christmas cards. At all. At all, ever. Okay. But I'm totally I, cool with the cards that I talked about previously. I have very mixed feelings on cards. I love my old cards, and I, I remember sitting as a kid and just going through them, and I like to look at them, like, because the art was really cool. But my problem with cards these days is that every card I open, it says something so cheesy that I just, I'm like, who would say that? Not that card that somebody got me. Was it you that got it for me from the dogs? Oh, yeah, that one was good. That was a great card. That was great. I hope nobody got you a stick. (laughs) (laughs) That was a great one, but that was an anomaly. Usually I'll open a card and I'm like, who would say that, really? This is why, you know, you would think a woman likes flowers and cards and stuff and candy. and She doesn't like any of those things. You know what she wants? She wants flowers that she can plant in the yard. Yeah, give me a flower I can plant in my yard or in a pot. Don't give me flowers that are going to go die next week. I haven't got you a card, but I should get you a birthday card and get, like, the cheesiest, sappiest card that I could find. Well, as long as you fill it with money, I'll be happy with it. <laughs> oh, look, it's, it's, and then write a <laughs> whole thing on it. But, <laughs> Give me the money. You've uh, got all my money already. <laughs> you don't even need me. Next up, boozy eggnog. How do you feel about eggnog? What are I your love thoughts? eggnog. Do you? you? Don't even have to have booze in it. I just Ew. like eggnog. I'm not a fan. This drink comes from Posset, which is a medieval English drink of hot curdled milk. Mixed with ale or wine. Mmm. Curdled, you say. Mm. You had me at <laughs> indigestion. The American colonists jazzed it up a little bit by adding rum. Even good old George Washington had his own special recipe. You want to know what's in it? Tell me what's in it. One quart cream, one quart milk, one dozen tablespoons sugar, one pint brandy, half pint rye whiskey, half pint Jamaica rum, 
quarter pint sherry. Mix liquor first, then separate yolks and whites of 12 eggs. Add sugar to beaten yolks. Mix well. Add milk and cream, slowly beating. Beat whites of eggs until stiff and fold slowly into mixture. Let set in cool place for several days. Taste frequently. <laughs> that sounds like the worst hangover you could ever have. I think you got most of the recipe right, but I think that the last line was actually omitted and it should have said, throw out entire concoction. <laughs> Drink the rum. Drink the rum. <laughs> yes. That's probably what I would, like, I'd start making them. Like, mm, 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 no, no. Wow, that's not curdle enough. that's got to go. <laughs> it's not trying to walk off the table. Next, we have Christmas lights. Of course, we have Thomas Edison to thank for inventing the light bulb, but his friend and business partner, Edward Hibbard Johnson, said... You mean Edward Hibbard Johnson? Yeah. <laughs> I love Edward Hibbard Johnson. He said, hey, you know what's better than a single bare light bulb hanging on a wire in the middle of a room? Five? How about a huge string of bulbs on a Christmas tree in New York in 1882? Brilliant! <laughs> By 1914, the lights were being mass-produced, and now some 150 million sets of lights are, are sold. Are in our house. I was going to say, about half of those are in my house right now. Exactly. Yeah. They make 150 million <laughs> sets a year, of which only 10 of make to the store shelves <laughs> for other people. Yeah. I actually read that um, at one point, Christmas lights were so expensive that people were having to rent them instead of buy them. I rent Christmas lights by the hour. <laughs> yeah, by the hour. <laughs> All right, now we're going to get to Santa Claus. Let's talk about the big guy himself, Santa Claus. Known by many names, St. Nicholas, Kris Kringle, Father Christmas, Pierre Noel. The head honcho. You get it. Every little child looks forward to a visit from the jolly rosy-cheeked man who brings gifts to everyone on the nice list. The origins of Santa date back to the 3rd century when St. Nicholas lived. Do you realize it was that long ago? I knew all St. Nick's been around for a few years. Yeah, I didn't realize it was that long ago. So I was in the 200s. <laughs> he was born in what is present-day Turkey. He was known for his kindness towards all. Legend says that he used all of his inherited wealth and traveled along the countryside helping all in need. He is considered the patron saint of children. Seems fitting. He's been celebrated for centuries and has become the idea behind our modern Santa. In 1822, the poem that we know as Twas the Night Before Christmas was written by an Episcopal minister named Clement Clark Moore. This introduced us to the image we have of our modern Santa. Fat, jolly, fur on a suit, twinkling eyes, nose like a cherry, pipe in his teeth. You get the picture. Chronic home burglar. Yes. He burgles. Yes, and I even saw that Coke is supposedly credited with giving him that furry red suit. Ah, uh, old man Coke. Old man Coke. Supporting the burglin. Because like you said, he was kind of scary before. He was quite before frightening. Before the 1930s. Yeah, before yeah. they redid his image. Yeah, <laughs> he got rebranded. So this poem also introduced the idea of flying reindeer. They all get called by name. Can you name those eight tiny reindeer? Well, there's Bob, Ralph. Jenkins, McGillicuddy, Murdaugh, Murdaugh, Jack, <laughs> no, and reindeer number eight. I think you're confused. I think that's seven. You just said name them. You didn't say they had to be the right names. You didn't name the most famous reindeer of all. Randolph. <laughs> Rudolph. He didn't get any acknowledgement until 1930 
when Robert L. May wrote the famous poem while he was working for a Montgomery Ward department store, and they wanted to draw in some Christmas shoppers. Have you heard of Randolph? <laughs> this poem was super popular, and Montgomery Ward sold 2.5 million copies in 1939. Ooh, I wonder how many royalties good uh, Robert L. May made off of that. <laughs> this led to the song in 1949, sung by Gene Autry, and the movie narrated by Burl Ives in 1964. So he got his song deal and his movie deal. If it's anything like the way intellectual property works that I know of, since he was working for someone else when he did it, they probably own the rights right. to it. So he probably got nothing. He probably got nothing. He probably got like a Christmas bonus, like a nice um, fruit fruitcake. Jelly of the Month Club. Yeah, Jelly of the Month Club. Fruitcake you know, of the Month Club. that's the gift that keeps giving the whole year round. <laughs> Remember, our youngest daughter was a huge Rudolph fan. She would watch it over and over and over. Rudolph's Shiny New Year. Oh, that one was horrible. She made us watch Rudolph's Shiny New Year. I'm not a fan of claymation to begin with. Or animation. Yeah, or superheroes. I can deal with animation way easier than or claymation. Or war documentaries. Oh, I'm definitely not into war documentaries. Or documentaries in general. No, I like documentaries. Mm. Just depends on what the subject matter is. Not war. But I am kind of more interested in it now that we're so much more into history. Cool. Now we can watch that World, World War, War II, II in, in color. color. Well, I can watch it and you can sleep through it. I've already done that once. <laughs> I know you've but done I it. I can always do it again. You've done it multiple times. I'm very tired. So, what is your favorite part of Christmas? Is it something we've discussed so far? Or is it something else altogether? My favorite part is being together with my family and celebrating by playing football. <laughs> That's your favorite part. It's, it used to be my favorite thing on every holiday. I thought that was Thanksgiving. It is. It was both. Oh, okay. Well, that was fun and uplifting, but now it's time for Brett to scare us. It wouldn't be a scary Savannah episode if we didn't talk about something cursed or haunted or evil in an episode. And even the Christmas season has a chair of the dark side. By far the most infamous dark creature associated with the Christmas season would be the figure known as Krampus. Or Krampus. <laughs> I like to say it, Krampus. But who is Krampus? He's a half-man, half-goat monstrosity who shows up every year, much like Santa Claus, except he doesn't come to bring gifts. He comes to bring vengeance or justice. Or mostly just to, like, punish bad children. That's what I think it amounts to. Mm -hmm. You see, we were always told that if you were good, Santa would bring you toys and presents. If you were bad, he would bring you a lump of coal or maybe some hickory switches for your parents. Speaking of a hickory switch, did Little Miss Perfect ever get spanked with a hickory switch? I did, indeed, actually. But I thought you were perfect. I even had to go pick my own hickory. Did you have to do that? Well, my grandmother spanked Wait. me one time with a hickory switch, and she did make me go pick it out. And I made the mistake of not getting one big enough. Uh oh, no. Um, you got to go mid range. You can't, 
You can't go too small or they'll get even madder. It made me think about it. What if I went with like like a full-blown stick? <laughs> like, you can't hit me with that. <laughs> well, she might. And like, well, you know you asked for it. <laughs> Usually, it was more of an intimidation thing. They'd be like, go get that switch. Go get your switch. And I go out there and, you know, you're like Like the out way there. you tell the dogs you're going to give them a bath. Yes. Like you go out there and you're dreading it and you're like, oh, no. And you're like trying to figure out what to do. So you finally pick like a mid-range one. You can't get too small, but you don't want to get too big. So then you go back in there. And then by that time, they've calmed down a little bit. And then they're, they're just like waving it at you. And they're like, you better get yourself together. You better stop whatever you're doing. I mean, whatever it is. Gonna so what did you, you do that warranted a spanking with a switch? I have no idea. Probably nothing. So your facade is falling apart. <laughs> it didn't happen very often. Like I said, they would just say, tell me to go get one. Uh, maybe got swatted once or twice. Mm-hmm. That's more than I ever got swatted. So clearly you were a much worse child than me. <laughs> I think that's the takeaway from this story. Oh, yeah. But in other parts of the world, Santa wasn't the one who did the punishing to naughty children. This role was staffed by none other than Krampus. He's a looker, isn't oh, he? Oh, yeah. Krampus has had many forms throughout the years. However, a lot of stories share similar features. He's typically portrayed as a half-goat, half-man. He's described as being hairy, usually black or brown hair, and has cloven hooves and the horns of a goat. Sounds a lot like one of our cryptids. Indeed he does. (laughs) Maybe he's the king daddy of the cryptids. Maybe. You'll typically see him with a Gene Simmons-esque tongue, and he'll have sharp fangs. The legend of Krampus comes from Austria's Alpine region, and he's been on the prowl for naughty children for hundreds of years. In this region, good St. Nicholas would visit children around December 6th to reward them with such bountiful gifts as fruit and walnuts. Wow. You know, something that's on every child's Sears wish list. For sure. You know, a lot of our audience probably won't get that reference. Yeah, I always love getting those Sears catalogs every year so I could circle all the toys and games that I wanted. And that year that the Super Nintendo was coming out, I cut that page out and I taped it to the wall beside my bed. Like you did with my picture years later. It, yes. <laughs> and it might have, uh, you know, had several pictures. It. Yeah, you replaced it, that. And I will stand up and say... That as far as games go, Super Mario World is still one of the best games ever made. And I even took that down to put your picture up. That's how strongly I feel about you. Wow. I never even had a Super Nintendo. Ah, you were just underprivileged, I guess. Yeah, I had the regular old Nintendo. Mm. And I was quite happy with it. I didn't even know the Super Nintendo existed. I didn't even know it was a thing. But you did know about Super Mario 3. Yeah, that was my favorite game. I wasn't even a big fan of that one. Really? I like Super Mario 2 better, and Super oh. Mario World was by far the best Mario Super game Mario ever 2 made. was trash. Although Nintendo Super Mario 64 is fun, yes. specifically because you get to throw that little baby penguin off the cliff. Yeah, I love that I did that game. over and over. I was like, Dee! just knock him off. We had to capture the 100 stars. That's one of the few video games I can remember you actually being into was yes. that game. Yes, we bought that, and we played that all the time. We did. But if you had been a bad child, you might be in for a visit from the dreaded Krampus. Krampus brought a whole different bag of goodies, or baddies, as it were. And this knight had a super cool name, Krampusnacht, or Krampus Knight. Krampus. Krampus. 
Krampus. That was Krampus. Krampus. Krampus dot. It was also an excuse for adults to dress up as Krampus to scare children. Oh, I can't believe you didn't do this to our children. If I'd have known it existed, yeah, I would have. never heard of it when they were little. Krampus would be carrying chains as well. Some theorize it's because of the binding of the devil by the Christian church. He would rattle these for dramatic effect because a towering goat demon covered in black hair in and of itself wasn't scary enough. He was also said to carry a bundle of birch branches called a root, which he would use to swat children. Some versions of Krampus are even darker. He would sometimes have a sack or a basket strapped to his back. This would make it more convenient for him to take the bad children so he could either eat them, drown them, or even send them straight to hell. <laughs> and that wow. seems a little extreme. I mean, if little Johnny or Susie didn't do all their chores, they were in danger of being cast directly into hell. Well, that would inspire them to get the vacuum out. Exactly. <laughs> Maybe this is a you know a tradition you could have gotten behind. I know. I did not know this existed. I mean, at least if Santa had brought you a lump of coal, you could set it on fire. Yeah, that would have been fun. On December 5th, Krampus night, that's when Krampus would make his appearances. Sometimes he'd visit with St. Nicholas. Sometimes he's on his own. So they're like old war buddies? They are. Okay. Turns out they fought in the war of, <laughs> what year was this? 1304? <laughs> Krampus had my back. Took a bullet for me. Uh, they didn't bullet bullets for another 500 years. <laughs> ah, he took a sharp stick for me. <laughs> Krampus will visit homes and businesses. And I'm not sure why he goes to businesses, but maybe in that area, kids did taxes like old Bob Cratchit or whatever it was he did for Mr. Scrooge. I don't know. If you're looking to find Krampus, the following locations would be a good place to start as Krampus features heavily in their folklore. And that would be Austria, Bavaria, Croatia, the Czech Republic, Hungary, Northern Italy, Slovakia, Slovenia, South Tyrol, and of course, everyone's favorite, the autonomous province of Trento. You know, one of the places that's high on your list of, to go visit. Yeah, it's my You know I wouldn't, wouldn't leave them off the list. Yeah. And before you ask, because, you know, clearly you know, but this is for the benefit of our listeners, uh, that's located in Italy. Oh, nice. Krampus wasn't really well known in America until recently and has become quite popular in the horror realm. He's been featured in comics, movies, television shows, and even postcards. Wow, I wonder if he has a TikTok. That's how you know he's really made it. Is he well, on TikTok? I, I imagine there's probably at least 500 <laughs> TikToks called Krampus. Probably. We go look it up. I made it. And then it's just him doing a dance yeah. like this. And for some reason, he's wearing tube socks. And he's talking with a SpongeBob voice. My mom said that's what's happening now on TikTok, and she doesn't like it. Oh, it's no. Like there's Maybe a I should get on the TikTok. It's a filter or something where... You're talking, but it's SpongeBob's ah! voice. Yeah, and everything they say is in SpongeBob's voice, and she is annoyed by SpongeBob's I am angry. Voice. I will no longer listen to the TikTok. <laughs> Just got to scroll past that real quick. So thank you for that horrifying and uplifting story. This has been a lot of fun. There are so many things that we could talk about about Christmas, but we had to just pick some for time's sake. But if you want to hear more about Christmas, make sure to join our Patreon. We have an episode this week where we're talking about some Christmas crimes and other stuff. 
trivia, fun. I don't want to spoil anything, but it turns out most of these Christmas crimes were perpetrated by St. Nicholas himself. I know, right? Now it's time for us to... Insert graphic here. Merry What what we're we're watching. watching. So this week, we decided in order to be festive and to appropriately have a viewing experience that meets with the needs of the holiday season, that we would watch the brand new 2022 A Christmas Story Christmas on HBO Max. And this is a movie that is a sequel of sorts to a lot of people's favorite Christmas movie, A Christmas Story, which came out in the 80s, I think, which featured Peter Billingsley as Ralphie, a young boy who wanted nothing more than a Red Rider carbine action 200-shot range model air rifle with a compass in the stock and this thing which tells time. Impressed that I I memorized that? So this movie follows Ralphie in the future, and he is an adult, Married and has two children, and they are going to maintain their Christmas tradition. It seems that uh, his parents would come to their home to celebrate Christmas with them every year. Well, there's a tragic occurrence that happens that changes the picture for everybody as far as how Christmas will be celebrated this year. So Ralphie, his wife, and the kids have to make Christmas plans change Ralphie's an aspiring writer who is trying to break into the field of fiction, and he's just struggling with this. And it's interesting to see his battle with writer's block as this episode goes on. I don't want to give anything else away, so I'm going to go ahead and just turn it over to Crystal so she can give you her dog treat rating on a scale of 1 to 12. Well, it started out a little slow for me, but I really like the end product. So I'm going to give it a 9 out of 12. Okay. It's nowhere That's near. Reasonable. It can't possibly capture what they captured in the original Christmas story. Well, I think they knew that. Oh, yeah. That's what they knew going in. But they did try really hard to stay true to the feeling. And, the you know, that show was very <laughs> wholesome overall. It's all about kid and wonderment at Christmas, you know, like. A super low budget movie at the time, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, they kept that same feel, that same, like, hopeful outlook. And, it, I mean, at first I wasn't real thrilled. I'm like, yeah, this is kind of But it built and built a little better and better. And they tied a lot of stuff in. It had a lot of the original cast. And the way they ended it was really good. So, so 9 out of 12. I enjoyed it. But it's not something I think will ever be on the 24-hour loop on TBS oh, every Christmas. Oh, no, of course it won't be. <laughs> but it, it's worth a watch. Yeah. My personal rating is I'm going to give this one a 10 out of 12. I agree with Crystal. It started off a little slow, and they do try to have a bunch of callbacks to the original movie with mm-hmm. a lot of little gags and gimmicks that they do. It's it's basically a callback. But I'm okay with that because I didn't expect this to be a groundbreaking piece of yeah. cinema. I just wanted to watch something that made me feel good and reminded me of Christmas and didn't try to beat me over the head with some lesson that it wanted me to learn mm-hmm. that I don't need in my holiday entertainment, whatever mm-hmm. that may be. And all this movie tried to do was, you know, entertain. entertain. And I really like the way Ralphie plays his character. I like the little gags that they do. And I loved the ending of the movie. And the way they end it, it's sort of just a real smart idea that uh, links the two movies Mm -hmm. together in such a great way. 
So I would wholeheartedly recommend this for your Christmas viewing. Like I said, it's not going to be a 24-hour classic on TBS, but it's well worth your time to watch it at least once. Yeah, it's a good family movie. And it's good for kids. There's not a lot of uh, bad stuff in it. Not any more so than the original one. Yeah, I mean, it has the little, but nothing like out of the ordinary. Nothing that your kids have not heard before. Yeah, nothing they wouldn't see on the original. (laughs) So that's going to bring us to the portion of the show that we like to call Layla Layla and Coffee and Oscar Oscar Maybe. Yeah, Oscar question mark. I haven't seen him in a little while. We'll put some question marks. Yeah. So the girls can hardly wait for Christmas. Layla made the nice list again this year, of course. And I just got word that coffee made it too, despite the fact that she spilled coffee all over you the other night. Gave me a third degree burn. What well, might have been second degree. It was an degree. accident. So She'd do it again it first chance close, she gets. But Santa is going to bring her something nice. The family's coming, so they're going to get all kinds of extra attention and extra food. Can you imagine as soon as the door knocks and then people come in, they're going to be... Yes, it's going to be so fun. They're all dressed up in their snowman collars with pretty red bows. So cute. I think we've posted pictures of them wearing it, have we? I did, but they'll be up on the screen right now. And they've got sweaters somewhere, and it's cold, so I need to find their sweaters and get them all dressed up. So They're probably be buried good. out in what we call Tussle Tunnel. Yeah, they probably did bury them outside. There's a little area beside our house in between the gate and the house that's sort of a, a passageway, a tunnel, if you will. <laughs> and we call it Tussle Tunnel because they run outside, and they seem to get in their biggest tussles where they play fight with each other in Tussle Tunnel. And that's where they lose collars. That's where they lose bandanas. That's yeah. where they lose sweaters. Well, that's maybe. where coffee removes Layla's stuff and, and buries it. it. There. Yeah. And buries it. Yeah. So you go have to go pull it out of the dirt and wash it. So Oscar has been MIA for the past several days. Have you seen him? I have not I have seen not Oscar. Seen him or heard him? Like the usually the girls go crazy and bark at the glass door when they see him, but I haven't seen him at all. Maybe he migrated. I hope that he's out. I hope he's still out there. And maybe we should leave him a little Christmas treat. What do you think possums like besides um, cat food? Uh, Venison. Venison? I don't know. Probably possums would be fine with anything. I wonder if they like gingerbread. Just throw some gingerbread. Just set our gingerbread houses out there and see what it attracts. And he's eating it. Then I'll be looking up on Wikipedia. Be oh wow, gingerbread's severely poisonous to possums. And then he'd just start falling at the mouth. And then it'd be just a great Christmas for everybody. (laughs) It'll end up like um, the Christmas vacation, and it'll come flying in the house, and everybody will be running and screaming. (laughs) Squirrel, (laughs) possum. Yeah. So if you'd like to find us online, you can go to scarysavannahandbeyond.com. You can find us on all social media platforms looking for the user at Scary Savannah. If you're not watching us on YouTube, you should be because we have all these great decorations and we're dressed up like Santa Claus. And you can see Brett's present. Yeah, my can of Simonize. <laughs> it was the greatest Christmas present I had ever received or would ever receive. Go find us on YouTube. Look for the user Scary Savannah. It'll pop right up, and you could subscribe there. It'd be great. And if you want to be like our awesome listener, Heidi, go ahead and go to our website and go click on that little yellow icon in the bottom left-hand corner that lets you buy us a coffee and help support the podcast to keep us running and keep her caffeinated because that's a highly important part of decorating for Christmas. She needs to stay awake so that when she's on the roof trying to hang icicle lights on a third story of a two-story house... <laughs> She doesn't fall off and break her neck because that would be bad. Would it? I don't have enough insurance on her for that to be worth it. Yes, you do. 
You don't know how much we have. I have no idea. <laughs> Please also go check us out on Patreon. You can find exclusive episodes where we will be talking about a variety of subjects. Most recently, we've talked about cryptids, but we also have a special holiday episode about Christmas and how Santa Claus is actually a fraud. Yeah. And by fraud, I mean he definitely exists, but he's clearly a career criminal. Yes. And you need to find out why, but go to Patreon to do that. You can go to patreon.com forward slash scary savannah. Go join up there. And we do have some news about our podcast. We are going to be making a change to our format in the coming year because we work so hard on this. And coming out with an episode every single week is destroying us both mentally because it's a lot of work. I would say between the two of us to produce an episode of this podcast could easily take an excess of 20, 30, 40 hours a week yeah. between the two of us. Yeah, it just depends. And we want to keep bringing you great content. So we've decided that we're going to be going to a bi-weekly release schedule. So if you're listening to this episode on Christmas, we won't be having an episode on the upcoming Sunday, but the Sunday following that we will. And that will be our release schedule for our standard podcast going forward. We're going to release an episode every two weeks on Sunday, still at 8 p.m., Doing this release schedule where we do it once every two weeks will allow us to focus on coming up with the best content that we can provide and also to save our sanities because all we do 24 hours a day is work on or talk about the podcast yeah. and we need some time to ourselves as well. But we are still dedicated. We're not stopping the podcast. We're definitely going to keep it going. And also we are going to keep doing Patreon. And those episodes are going to be shifting. They're going to be coming out on Sundays as well. And we will be releasing a Patreon episode every Sunday. So that makes it even more important to sign up for Patreon so you'll still get content every week. Yeah, so we will release every week on Sunday at least a Patreon episode. And every other week there will be a Patreon episode and our standard weekly, bi-weekly episode release. So if you have any questions, feel free to contact us through our contact form. Or even better, leave us a review yeah. of the five-star variety because we would love to have that. Be a great Christmas present for us if you'd leave us a nice I love review. Stars. So that's going to bring us to the part of the episode where you say 15 words and I look at you with starry eyes. Okay. Are these starry or are they just like intimidating or like serial killer? <laughs> yeah, it, it's getting weird. Join us next time in Savannah where the ghosts and the good times live on. But do you know who don't? Who? I'm going to imagine it's probably any kid that lived in the Alpine region of Austria when Krampus showed up and they hadn't done their chores that week. Oh, yeah. They going in a bag. <laughs> in a bag? They going to various places, but ain't none of them good. Oh, no. So Merry Christmas, <laughs> everybody. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.